0: Well, good morning, everybody. Happy Easter. So glad that you are here with us this morning, all of you here in the room, those of you up in the balcony, and to know we've got a whole bunch of you that are joining us at home uh, online this morning. So glad that you're with us. My team suggested after that video that I come out and do the gritty. And I just have to apologize. There's no gritty in this body, so sorry about that. At the very heart of the Christian story is an event that if it happened, has the power to change everything. The first followers of Jesus had lost all hope when he died. Everything they dreamed of, everything they hoped for, everything that they had invested their lives into was done, was gone, was over. They were stuck. They were dispirited, despondent, disenchanted. Jesus, their rabbi, their hero, their friend, was dead. And it was over. And then they saw him. They saw him alive. They saw him embodied. They saw him risen from the dead. And everything suddenly had changed. The world was never the same. Their lives were never the same. Nothing was ever the same. If the tomb is empty, then anything is possible. If the tomb is empty, there is a power at work and available to us that can change things, change our hearts, change our lives, and change the world. If the tomb is empty, then nothing is ever the same. This morning, I wanna tell you about a, a, a character who's at the center of the Easter story that's, that's perhaps my favorite character in the story. And what we're gonna do this morning is we're gonna look at three scenes from his life. One scene where I want to be like him. One scene where I am just like him. And one scene where I want you to be just like him. The character that we're gonna talk about this morning is a character named Didymus. And I just, I have to believe that his friends called him Diddy for short. I just, I have to believe it. Okay. But some of you may know him better by his Aramaic name, Thomas. And it's interesting because both Thomas and Didymus mean twin. Can you imagine being a twin and your, your whole life, you walk through the world and everybody's like, hey twin, what's up twin? Right? Your whole identity is sort of shrunk down to being someone's twin. And, and think about it. I mean, this was before uh, the, the days of the ultrasound, where oftentimes they didn't know it was twins until the day of, right? Until here, here comes another one. And so on that day, they had picked out a name for, for the first one. And so the first child is born, and I have to imagine that his father holds him up and says, He will be called Simeon. And then, uh oh, here comes another. They hadn't planned on that. They hadn't picked out a name for this one, so the dad's just like, I don't know, call him twin, right? His whole life, he is reduced down to being a twin, and ask any twin, one of the biggest challenges of being a twin is having your own sense of identity. And in many respects, Thomas goes through his whole life with his sort of identity being shrunk down to being someone's twin. But there's also a sense in which His identity has been hijacked because this is the Thomas that we all know down through the centuries as Doubting Thomas, that his whole life in many respects has been shrunk down to this moment of doubt. But I'm here to tell you as we navigate this story this morning, part of what you are going to see is that there is so much more to Thomas' life than his doubt. And for some of you this morning, perhaps that's good news. Because maybe you're a doubter too. You may be somebody who is here every week, week in and week out. You may sing in the choir, and yet you find yourself from time to time struggling with doubt. Or maybe it's not time to time, maybe it's always with you. Or you may be here this morning and, quite frankly, you were drug here, right? (laughs) That you're here because you're doing a favor to someone you love. And I just want to tell you, we're so glad that you're here. But, But you may say, in all honesty, I'm not sure I believe any of this stuff. You may be someone who's here this morning, who perhaps grew up in the church, but has since walked away from the faith of your childhood. Or maybe you're here and this whole faith thing is completely new to you. It, all this stuff is foreign to you. We want you to know, we're, we're glad you're here. Maybe you're here this morning and you're struggling with doubt because you are walking through some really heavy circumstances. Circumstances of fear or grief or pain and you're struggling to believe. Or maybe it's not you, maybe you're a parent, and the one who is struggling with their faith is your kid. Maybe a high school student, a young adult who is at that stage in life where they're wrestling, do I really believe this stuff? Is this really my faith? And maybe you're a parent who's looking on and struggling in that way, or maybe you're that student, that young adult. I want you to know that that I believe there's something here for you today. As we look at the story of Thomas, three scenes, one where I want to be like him, one where I am just like him, and one where I want you to be just like him. The first scene comes in John chapter 11. This is actually a few weeks before the events of the passion and resurrection of Jesus. John chapter 11, this is the story of Lazarus. And at the beginning of the story where we pick this up, Jesus has gotten wind that his dear friend, his beloved friend Lazarus, has become deathly ill. And we pick up the story in John 11, chapter four. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So, when Jesus heard Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. And then he said to his disciples, Let us go back to Judea. But, Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the, the Jews there were trying to stone you, and yet you're going back? And Jesus answered, Are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble for they have no light. Now, every time I read this story, I'm struck by the little word, so. The the, the way the narrative reads is, now Jesus loved Martha and Mary and Lazarus, so, dot, dot, dot. And we would expect the story to read, Jesus loved Martha and Mary and Lazarus, so, Jesus immediately got up and went to them. That's what we would expect to find. And yet, what we find Is Jesus loved Martha and Mary and Lazarus. So he stayed exactly where he was for two more days. This defies our expectation of Jesus. And I think it is a matter of fact that many, if not all of us, have times in our lives where there is a gap between our expectation and our experience. And Jesus' friends live in the struggle of that gap. When Jesus arrives on the scene, he is met with a barrage of questions. Where were you? How could you? Why didn't you? Jesus, if only you'd been here, my brother would not have died. Where were you? How could you? Why didn't you? And I suspect that many of us have had those moments in our lives where we have asked the exact same questions. Where were you? How could you? Why didn't you? But please note, Jesus allows for these painful events in their lives to happen, but his love never wanes. Sometimes he loves us enough to allow us to go through things and in those painful things there is a deeper purpose at play that we often can't see at the time. Now now please hear me. I think we often find ourselves going through those kind of difficult seasons. And we're looking for a reason. There there must be some reason I'm experiencing this. And we can struggle to figure out what is the reason that I'm going through what I'm going through. There must be some kind of reason. And I'll tell you, I think sometimes we can live our lives tortured trying to figure out the reason. And in fact, we can often live our whole lives and never really understand the reason that we've gone through whatever it is we've gone through but I think we need a shift in perspective. Rather than saying, there must be some reason I'm going through this. To be able to say, God must have some purpose for me in it. That in the midst of this, I don't know why I'm going through this, but God has something for me, something to to teach me, some way to shape me, some invitation to me to trust in him in a deeper way right here in the middle of it. I can't explain it away But I'm trusting God that there is a purpose that he has for me in this that I cannot see at this moment, but I'm trusting him in it. So Jesus stays right where he is. And then then he says, okay, now it's time. Now it's time for us to go back and to be with Lazarus. And and the disciples say, hold on, time out, wait a second. No, 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 no. Bad idea, Jesus. Right? When you were there last, we were just there not that long ago, and Jesus, they were trying to kill you. Right? They were out to get you. They wanted to take you out. They wanted to throw rocks at you until you were dead. And now you want to go back to, to Martha and Mary, Lazarus' house in Bethany, just on the other side of the hill from Jerusalem? Jesus, that's nuts. No, 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 no. We're not going back there. They want to kill you. Then we pick up the story. Oh, and before we pick up the story again, I love Jesus' response, right? Because it's one of these responses where the the, the disciples have to hear what Jesus says and go, excuse me, what? Like, that that doesn't make any sense. What does this have to do with what we just said? Because Jesus has these somewhat cryptic words. Are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble for they have no light. And they're going, huh, huh? What are you talking about? I think this is Jesus' cryptic way to say, guys, it's about to get really, really dark for you. But I'm about to do something that if you hold on to it, it will be like a torch for you when things get really, really dark. Then we continue reading in verse 11. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. And his disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. I, I just love the disciples' response, right? Because Jesus, Jesus is not talking about physical sleep. They're hearing this as, as though um, they're like, Jesus, don't you remember when you were a kid and you didn't feel good? Your mom would tell you, Go, go to bed, go to sleep, and you'll feel better. And then you did, and then you did. They're they're saying, Jesus, we don't wanna go and wake him up, just let the guy sleep. (laughs) And then verse 13, Jesus had been speaking about his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let's go to him. Lazarus is dead, but but I have something for you in this experience. Trust me, and let's go. And then verse 16. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go, that we may die with him. I love that. And it's not clear from the text if he meant let's go die with Lazarus or let's go die with Jesus. And I think the ambiguity is the point. If Lazarus is dead and we go back there, they're coming after him and that means they're coming after us. And if Jesus is gonna go and die with Lazarus, then let's go die with him. This is not doubting Thomas. This is believing Thomas. This is courageous Thomas. This is committed Thomas and I want to be just like him. I wanna be that kind of disciple. Jesus, wherever you call me to go, I'm going. That's scene one. Scene two, flip just a few pages over to John chapter 20. John chapter 20, this is now after Jesus has been betrayed, beaten, mocked, and executed on a cross. But now on that first Easter Sunday, he has appeared to his disciples in the upper room. They have seen Jesus alive, risen from the dead, but Thomas wasn't there. And we pick up the story in verse 24. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Here, the believing disciple has been overcome by his doubt. And I am just like him. Some of you maybe have heard me tell about my experience of, of an existential crisis when I was going through writing my PhD dissertation. Now, a PhD dissertation will give you an existential crisis all on its own. <laughs> but, but it was actually what I was studying that, that as I was reading, really caught me. Because uh, in writing my PhD, I I, uh, was studying one of the key figures was the 16th century reformer, John Calvin, and particularly his definition of faith and the role of the Holy Spirit in our faith. And Calvin has this really famous definition of faith, but it's what provoked this crisis for me. Calvin says this, Now we shall possess a right definition of faith if we call it a firm and certain knowledge of God's benevolence towards us, founded upon the freely given promise in Christ Jesus, both revealed to our minds and sealed on our hearts through the Holy Spirit. And there's so much there to love about that definition of faith, right? It's a good Trinitarian definition, believing in the benevolence of God the Father towards us, founded upon the work of Jesus on our behalf, both revealed to our minds and sealed upon our hearts by the Holy Spirit. But it was those two little words at the beginning that drew me into a crisis. Calvin said that faith is the firm and certain knowledge of God's benevolence towards us. And I had to face the fact that when I reached for adjectives to describe my faith, I would not reach for the adjectives firm and certain oftentimes I would reach for the adjectives thin and fragile. There was a long time that I thought I could never become a pastor because a pastor who stands up here and does this can't struggle with doubt the way that I do. For some reason, I thought it was okay to become a theologian, but not a pastor. What I've come to discover is that my ability to stand up in front of all of you and be honest about the reality of my doubts is one of the the greatest things that I have to offer to the people I pastor. Because for many of you, it allows you to say, you too? I am a disciple of Jesus who struggles with doubt. But thankfully, in my PhD, I kept reading. And a little further on in his Institutes of the Christian Religion, Calvin the pastor balances Calvin the theologian and he says this, surely while we teach that faith ought to be certain and assured, we cannot imagine any certainty that is not tinged with doubt or any assurance that is not assailed by some anxiety. On the other hand, we say that believers are in perpetual conflict with their own unbelief. And I wonder if anybody else in the room hears those words and it allows you like me to just breathe. I know what that feels like. True believers are in perpetual conflict with their own unbelief. What Calvin was getting at, saying firm and certain, isn't about our ability to generate some sense of certainty. It is about the tenacity of our faith that comes as a gift from God by the power of the Holy Spirit, that we can have a faith that feels to us thin and fragile, but we are held secure by God, even as we struggle to believe. Even as we are assailed by anxiety, that the true believer is in perpetual conflict with their own unbelief. This was Thomas in these moments, in this experience, and this is me so often. I think it's worth noticing that Thomas' struggle mirrors the ways in which we often struggle. The kind of circumstances that Thomas was experiencing are often the times in which we struggle to believe. When Thomas was tired, hurting, isolated, angry, and afraid. Right? Thomas was exhausted, emotionally, physically exhausted. He was hurting, he was grieving, he was in pain. He was isolated, he would, had withdrawn from the circle of his community, of his friends. He was angry. How could they do this to him? And he was afraid. What if they're coming for us too? What if they're coming for me too? And I think we often find ourselves most prone to struggle with doubts when we are tired, hurting, isolated, angry, or afraid. And so Thomas says, I can't believe this. After the trauma that he had experienced in the death of Jesus, he says, I can't believe this. I know what they did to him, and I can't believe it unless I see the scars. But I want you to note also that even as I identify here with Thomas' struggle to believe, there's also a way in which I actually want to be like Thomas in this passage. It's the kind of church that I hope that we are together. Because notice in this story, Thomas refuses to simply follow the crowd. He isn't afraid to ask hard questions, and he's willing to speak his mind. And if you're here this morning, you're checking out IBC, you want to know the kind of church we are, that's the kind of church I think we aspire to be. A church that doesn't just follow the crowd or or settle for easy answers or or be, be unwilling to ask hard questions, but willing to speak about what we believe, about our convictions. But see, I think sometimes people abandon their faith because they think that's what they have to do if they have doubt. And the problem isn't so much their doubt as it is the thought that they aren't allowed to have any. But also notice what Thomas does. He shows up. He wasn't with them on that first Easter, but but he is back with them here. He shows up. And if you're here this morning and you identify with Thomas and you say, I'm not sure I believe any of this stuff, but you showed up, we want you to know we are glad that you are here. And there is space for you here, even with your questions. There is space for you here, even with your unbelief. And if you find yourself one struggling to believe, there are many of us here that that say, when it comes to faith, you can borrow mine. Because I know that there have been times that I have showed up to this place where I was struggling to find my own faith and I borrowed yours. Where we can depend on each other, that we can believe together and struggle together. Thomas showed up and then Scene three, Jesus showed up. That first scene, I wanna be like Thomas. The second scene, I am so like Thomas. Third scene, I want you to be like Thomas. Look what it says, verse 26. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. And though the doors were locked, Jesus came and he stood among them and he said, peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. I love this about Jesus. He is willing to be touched. He's not angry. He does not scold. He does not shame. Friends, your doubt does not drive Jesus away. It draws him close. He invites you to draw close to him with all of your doubts, with all of your fears, with all of your shame, with all of your heartbreak, with all of your failures. He invites you to draw near to him. And he will draw near to you. Draw near. And then watch Thomas' response, verse 28. And Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. And then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Thomas sees the, the risen Jesus. We're not actually told if he actually reached out and touched the wounds. It seems as though merely seeing the risen Jesus with his wounds stand before him was enough for Thomas to evoke this response, my Lord and my God. And Thomas' words directed to Jesus are either true or they are blasphemy. But see, this is actually the climax, the culmination of John's entire story because all the way back in John chapter one, verse one, he said, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And the whole point of John's story is to invite his his readers to believe that Jesus is God and Thomas is the first one who recognizes it and says in worship, my Lord and my God. Because at the heart of the mystery of the Christian faith is a God with scars. And in the kind of world in which we live, I don't think I could believe in a God without them. He has entered into our pain. He has entered into our struggle. He has entered into our suffering. He underwent death on our behalf that he might triumph over all of it through his resurrection from the dead. At the heart of the Christian faith is that the only the Christian God is a God with scars. And in the kind of world in which we live, I don't think I could believe in a God without them. My Lord and my God Thomas says. At the beginning of my message, I suggested to you that Thomas' doubt does not define his life. And this is where some of you that come from an Indian heritage may actually have an advantage over many others of us. Because many from an Indian heritage know about Thomas' life in ways that many around the rest of the world have largely forgotten. Because according to Christian tradition, after Thomas has the encounter with the risen Christ, after he is given the great commission of Jesus, Thomas leaves his homeland and travels to India, to the region today known as the state of Kerala. And there he plants seven churches. And that Christianity is alive and vibrant in India, going all the way back to the first century because of the missionary endeavors of Thomas. And that eventually Thomas would be martyred as one someone took a spear and thrust it into his stomach and he died. A martyr's death. Once again, this is not doubting Thomas. This is believing Thomas. This is courageous Thomas. This is committed Thomas. If Jesus died to show the world the love of God, then I will too. And friends, I find it virtually preposterous to think that Thomas and the others who were with him who experienced the risen Christ would go to their death, would die a violent death if they knew it wasn't true. If they knew this was all a hoax, if they knew it was all a lie. But Thomas knew it was true. He saw the scars and he said, I will follow you wherever you call me. Thomas Believing Thomas, courageous Thomas, committed Thomas. Lay down his life to show the world the love of God in Christ. Friends, your doubt does not drive Jesus away from you. It draws him to you. And he says, draw near to me. Bring me your doubts, bring me your fear, bring me your shame, bring me your failures. Draw near, and this is the invitation for all of you here today, draw near and worship my Lord and my God, because if the tomb is empty, the world is never the same, your lives are never the same, nothing is ever the same. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, risen Savior, reigning King, my Lord and my God, we worship you today. And we thank you, Jesus, that our doubts, our fears, our struggles, our failures, our shame do not drive you away. But draw you near. And you invite us to draw near to you. And so I pray for all of us here this morning that we would hear and receive and respond to your invitation to our lives. God, if there be any here who have never trusted in what you have done, Jesus, on their behalf. Your death bearing the weight of sin, your resurrection, triumphing over sin, giving us the 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 promise of forgiveness and the hope of eternal life that today, God, in response, they would say, Jesus, I trust you. I trust in what you have done for me, for us, for the world. I wanna follow you. And God, for all of us who are here this morning, who who may believe, but our belief can be thin and fragile, that today you would fill our hearts with strength, knowing that you love us and that you invite us to draw near, that you want to give us belief, courage, commitment to follow you, Jesus, as your disciples in the world, being about your purposes, of bringing this good news of hope to the world. And so now, we worship. Now we say, Thank you, Jesus, for what you have done, my Lord and my God. And we pray all this in your name, the name of King Jesus, our risen Savior. Amen.